Hey, Rethink Retail listeners. Have you heard about Retail's Golden Ticket event? On April 26th, Rethink Retail is heading to London, England to attend the Retail Technology Show, where Europe's leading retailers and tech providers will gather under one roof to explore the very best in retail innovation. The Retail Technology Show is a must-visit for retail and hospitality organizations that are looking for the right tools, the right solutions, and sound advice on how to run their businesses more effectively, more efficiently, and more profitably in a way that results in seamless multi-channel operations and enhanced customer experience. And better yet, you can get a free golden ticket to this event by registering at RetailTechnologyShow.com slash RethinkRetail. That's RetailTechnologyShow.com slash RethinkRetail. Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick-and-mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rethink Retail podcast. I'm your host, Paula Makaji, and today I'm speaking with two guests. Chris Regal is the CEO and founder of Stratacash, a global group of complementary technology companies based on Ohio. That includes Scala, PRN, and X20. Stratacash provides advanced digital signage, marketing technology, and consumer insight solutions to the world's leading retailers. And our other guest, Jonathan Rosen, is the Senior Vice President of Content Strategy and Consumer Experience at PRN, a Stratacash company where he leads the brand integration, content strategy, and shopper experience for PIN's retail accounts. Jonathan was central to the development of the original InStar Walmart Smart Network and consulted on InStar retail media networks in Costco, Best Buy, Sam's Club, and Target. Chris and Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So this is the topic that I'm very passionate about because pretty much in every retail event I've been to this year, and if you follow me, you know that I went to a lot, Retail Media Network is definitely a trendy topic at the moment. And we know that how effective that can be because of the way the brands can achieve consumers at the physical store while they are at the point of purchase, right, where 80% of the transactions occur. But Retail Media Networks isn't really new, though, right? Why has that become a trendy topic in our industry so recently? Yeah, I think it's a great question. The, the biggest thing is simply that's where the money is. And from a retailer's perspective, to be able to say this market has grown from a small several hundred million dollar market to globally now probably north of a hundred billion dollars, it's the critical mass of those retail media networks. And if we always break retail media networks down into three pieces, your mobile, your dot-com and your in-store, and we focus on that in-store piece, that has just exploded in terms of the opportunity because through pandemic, through now the inflationary cycles that all retailers are going through, you're looking at higher costs. So where can a retailer find incremental revenue, find new dollars? That retail media network opportunity is found money and retailers always love found money. Absolutely. Anything to add, Jonathan? I would just add that the in-store component that we focus on is found money in a very interesting way in that it's doing a few things. It's you know not only generating advertising revenue, 
but it has to generate more sales too. So from a merchant perspective, if you do these networks right, you get something that delivers a triple win. The consumer experience is improved. The merchant is better merchandising their products. And you know, you're obviously getting the brand revenue as well. So it's definitely a triple win. And a higher margin for the retailer after all, right? All right. So in the US, we know that we have over 50 different retail media networks. Pretty much every leading retailer has one. What is involved in extending a digital retail media network into the store? Jonathan, you want to take it? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a complex process and really one that starts with modeling what it is at, what it looks like at scale. So like any good endeavor, you have to be strategic about it and you kind of have to have your end game in mind at the beginning. And what that really means is understanding where you're going to find the most effective place to put media in the store, what that media looks like, what's involved from a capital perspective, and then fundamentally, what's the return going to look like. Once you model it at scale, and literally the thing about this is retail media networks, there's a reason why it's only 50 retailers. It's the retailers who are already achieved scale. So by definition, they're the ones also who have the most physical outposts, namely stores. So once you model it, then it's a matter of doing a lightweight, statistically relevant test together in which you bring advertisers in, you put the screens up, you move very fast, you iterate very fast, you test your thesis, and you know you have to be with a partner who actually, once the thesis is proven, can actually scale it. And that's something that is sort of the third phase. This is a one to two year cycle. And that's why retailers who are considering it right now, we're seeing tremendous interest from them because they know it takes lining up a lot of different silos within their retail media organization. It's got to be the retail media folks. It's got to be the marketing folks and the merchants as well. And the financial, you know, the C-suite needs to understand the finances of it. That's something that, you know, you develop the unified story of what you're trying to accomplish that works for all of those parties. And that makes it a lot easier to scale it and to get moving. And one thing I'd add to that as well is we're seeing this evolution where initially when you came to in-store as a retail media network, that was impression-based. It was CPM-based models for success. Now retailers are really understanding, wait a minute, I can have a digital display influencing a customer's action at point of decision. And that influence at the point of decision, hey, if I can get an ad dollar for that, that's great. But also in many retailers where they have private label and many retailers where they have particular margin sets where they want to move product A versus B. And that could be perishables, that could be particular targeted margin areas. But that ability to say, I have that flexibility all of a sudden to really target that shopper by day of week, by weather condition, by unique shopper ID or other, you can get really, really precise in that targeting. And at the end of the day, we always try to remind retailers to say, hey, at the end of the day, you're a merchant. So your job is to sell product. If that retail media network can help accomplish that task and meet your revenue stream, great. But the best and highest use is always to convert on product. Yeah, but that looks like you demand and need a lot of data in order to perform all of that correctly. And my question is, we know that, for example, Walmart, they have 60 million visits a month online and over 200 million visits a month in stores. So they have big reach physically. I just wonder if you're able to get the same data in store as you are online. 
I think you can actually even get better data in store. And when I say that, we'll pick on Amazon versus Walmart as a comparison. In that Amazon environment, every click Amazon is watching. If you're on the Walmart website and you're moving around, Walmart's watching every click there as well. They can pull great data from that. When you're in store, the ability to say the retailers have great first person data and first party data when you convert and you are buying product because they can directly attribute that back. But they don't know, hey, Jonathan walked around the store. What areas did he shop but not buy? What areas was he clearly interested in but did not convert? So part of retail media networking is bringing in some of that sensor, some of that intelligence in store, whether that's card or basket tagging or computer vision or other, to be able to say, what are those customer intent points? What were they looking at but didn't convert? And that's a whole new opportunity for the retailer to retarget that customer on mobile or to go to streaming or cable TV or set-top box targeting of that customer at home and say, hey, I know that Jonathan might have been in the electronics department looking at new tablets, but he didn't buy one, but I know he's interested. So that knowledge of interest is another way for the retailer to be able to both retarget and to monetize because a Samsung, an Apple, whomever might be really interested to say to Walmart, hey, I'd like to target your shoppers that were in this area and clearly looking, had intent, but didn't convert. Yeah, I just wonder, I feel like you can have all this data when, especially when you're talking to about grocers, that's off the page here, just because I'm curious. But I see Tesco and I see other big grocers using a lot of their loyalty programs, right? They have the app and that's much easier to target the people that are already in their loyalty programs. Are we able to really get more data when they are not? Can you say okay. like this is a new client that just entered a store? Absolutely, because in the there's a number of different ways you can track a consumer, but that tracking of the consumer to be able to say based on it could be what we call telemetry signals. So your mobile device, your Bluetooth devices in pocket or other, there's ways to establish a a known customer use case and to tie that back. Obviously, you know, number one is I want every customer to have the mobile app. That's great. If they don't have the mobile app, if they have that loyalty and you give them reasons to subscribe to that loyalty program, that's great as well. But it's that unidentified customer that you can still digitally fingerprint that customer in a way that's not crossing any of the biometric lines in GDPR or the privacy points, but to know who that customer is and then be able to cater and target messaging to them both in-store and out-of-store. Awesome. That gives me some insights for the next question because how much of this data can the retailer have and not hurt the privacy of its consumers? And I know that it might change from country to country. So how do you see that? Yeah, it's a great question. So in many Western countries now, things like your image, your face is considered a biometric ID. So you're seeing more and more legislation. As an example, in Canada, it's materially illegal to do biometric fingerprinting. Same thing in New York, Illinois, California. So biometrics are lessening because of legislation. But there's all sorts of other signals, intelligence, all sorts of other telemetry data that you can get on the consumer. The earbuds that you're wearing, the mobile device that you're carrying, there's lots of points there that you can track a consumer. Things like baskets and carts, simply tagging those devices and using those because the retailer owns them. That's a clear area of field. The key point, though, to the retailers, what are you going to do with it to openly communicate to the customer what you're doing and why it's a benefit? That customer understanding, hey, maybe this gets me when I walk in store, my prescription filled three minutes faster and I can get in and out of the store easier or it gets me special offers or promotions on price that are unique to me. 
using that data for the good and for that customer to have a better experience is really the key to the experience. The only thing I would add is that we're pretty used to being retargeted online. And so there's a way to retarget and use the data that you're receiving from all sorts of different data points that doesn't feel like an intrusion, that feels like a benefit to Chris's point. But it's got to serve the customer. And in the end, it can't cross a line into pretending like it knows you better than you know yourself. That's sort of the creepy line. But retailers are very, very aware of that, thinking about that all the time and thinking about what's the difference between a special that feels organic and a special that feels intrusive. And the other thing I would add is that, you know, the one-to-one communication and that retargeting is often is going to happen outside of the store just as often as it's going to happen inside that store. So that in-store data, to Chris's point, can be used to support retargeting and streaming. And that's where, you know, obviously we're seeing a lot of press around the synergies between you know, streaming channels outside of the store and in retail media networks and how that data flow works. So all of these systems are being developed, but the store is kind of the final piece of the puzzle that retailers really need to concentrate on. Yeah. And I know that Carrefour, I think was in November, they have just announced pretty much that they are joining publicists to pursue this retail media network, uh, huge ecosystem in Europe and South America. And I was just talking to Jonathan yesterday about Family Mart, which is a chain of convenience stores in Japan. Then they are becoming the biggest media company in Japan, which I think is phenomenal when you're thinking about a retailer, right? It's, so it's definitely a global trend. I would love to understand uh, how that is going in the US and how that is going in Europe. Yeah, so I think there's kind of two interesting subtopics there. One is the you've now seen the large agency holding companies kind of dive into the sector. And there's going to be an interesting push-pull. Agencies are always interested in finding new opportunities for fees. Retailers are always interested in finding new opportunities to lower agency fees. So I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic to say at the retailer side, retailers run based on how do I drive more efficiency in my operations consistently as well as increase sales. So I would wager to say that many of the top retailers are smart enough to understand If an agency is in the middle of that transaction on the buy side and the sell side, there's going to be a fee in the middle of it. So we're seeing more and more retailers from Australia to Canada to the U.S. building infrastructure that works autonomous of the agency side. You obviously have programmatic and programmatic will still be part of it. But the fewer number of hands that are in that pot, the better for the retailer because they're able to capture more of that margin. But that being said, the agencies do have a legitimate position to say they can aggregate up traffic and make that interesting. You'll just have the fight, though, I think consistently between endemic versus non-endemic, programmatic versus direct sale, and where does the retailer maximize that? And retailers are great in maximizing those returns. So, But you are seeing these networks at scale. You're seeing you know, the U.S. market was probably over $50 billion last year, all said and done, a global market well over $100 billion. As the numbers get bigger, you can chase one or two percent efficiencies or 10 or 15 percent efficiencies in fees. And those are big numbers. So it'll be a drive to greater efficiency. My only add is that programmatic, you know, is something that obviously is kind of the lifeblood of retail media networks online. In the store, it's got to work very, very differently. You know, the idea of non-endemic ads, there's just a lot more. You're in the retailer's house. There's a lot more control that needs to happen. And most programmatic content probably doesn't really work very well to be repurposed in the store. 
So what you're going to see is content management systems for in the store doing lightweight integrations with some of those platforms that power the online ecosystem such that it makes it easier for the right brands to get through in, in an automated way. But also, you know, a retail media network in the store needs to have several buckets of programming, as it were. It's got to have content that is store-centric, that's localized. It's also got to be very, very data-driven with regards to conditions. So fundamentally, if you can capture a lot of sort of triggers as to what's going on locally in the store, what's selling, what the weather is, what the mindset is, what the demographic is at a certain hour of the day, you can tune the network in the store to those data points. It's much as like what Stratacash does with their menu boards. It's a situation where they take a menu board. You know, Stratacash has a practice of millions of menu boards. Chris can tell you a little bit more about that. But fundamentally, they have to be highly dynamic. They have to know whether or not inventory is in stock. They have to be able to change themselves based on all sorts of conditions. So that data-driven content, looking at the screen as if it's a, a vessel into you know, reacting to the real-world situation is something that is going to be used in store, but it's not going to be just to serve programmatic ads. Yeah, I can see it's a super hot day and it shows like a super cold Coke, right? Like I would definitely buy it if it's being advertised for me right there. And the same thing if it's winter and it shows a cozy fondue yeah. <laughs> that you want to buy for the family. So I understand. Well, so you have to have the, uh, yeah, you have to have the, this, the right set of data. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Thanks, Alexa. You have to understand who your consumer is also, right? You have to have that personalized ad. I think nowadays compared to decades ago when we used to talk about retail media, this time we actually understand who our client is, how they buy, and we have the technologies that can allow us that too. But one of the things I would add to that though is think also of the real-time data that can come into that. So as a retailer, you can purchase data or acquire data from credit card companies, as it were, that shows shopper spend patterns to augment what you know about the direct shopper point. So knowing the patterns of when shoppers spend, how they spend, hey, if I'm in on a Tuesday or Wednesday, it might be an incremental utility buy, where if I'm in on a Friday, I'm buying for the week. It may be because of event, World Cup or Super Bowl, that I'm buying a particular product at a particular time. The retailers as merchants inherently know that of how to merchandise towards their customers, taking that into the digital realm, then helps you also vary things like price, offer, packaging, or other to maximize that profitability for the retailer. Yeah, there's an example. There's just one grocer that I always go. It's one store that I always go because it's right next to my gym. And I only go there because I go to the gym. So <laughs> that is the hot place to sell me anything healthy, anything protein, anything. So yeah. That's a occasion that I can see retailers using retail media as well. Of saying that if you're going into that environment, you're buying organic product. The fact that you're a customer going in and buying organic product, you know the proximity to a gym, you might be very interesting as a target customer for streaming services or cable services or over-the-top advertising to say, hey, this is a health-focused individual. So the sale and the targeting of you as an individual or, or you as a group to say Peloton or to other health product companies, that can be a really interesting association. And another way for that retailer to say, hey, I made money off of you when you're in the store, but also a health-focused company that could be 
a health insurance company, could be a fitness company, could be an equipment company. You'd also be of interest because I know you're eating organic foods. So that tying that data together is, is yet another monetization strategy. That's very interesting. I was just thinking about protein bars. Now I can think about a Peloton as well, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, it's just easy for us to, when we're discussing retail media networks, to think about grocers, right? Like the big grocers. Can all sizes uh, and sectors in retail actually take advantage of this high margin new revenue stream for them? Absolutely. And the grocers have the footfall and the frequency that makes it interesting. But think of that shopper as building an audience in the same way that you would in broadcaster streaming or other different audiences are valuable to different advertisers and different producers. So such that you have that audience and such that you can identify that audience and understand the economics, the patterns, et cetera, it's valuable. Now, a network that has 10,000 people coming into the store a day versus 1,000 people coming to the store a day, there's a volume play there. But when you start to look at the retail experience to say, maybe those thousand people that are coming into the store, maybe it's a high-end store. Maybe they're ones that would be more interested in financial services or vacation or other. There's a different monetization strategy there, but there's still value within that for that retailer. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of, I mean, the big box stores like Home Depot, Lowe's, they all have retail media networks and they're, they're learning that ecosystem. What you do in store may be a little bit different it may be concentrating on, you know, the first of all, the fixtures themselves need to be native to the store. So it's not just slapping a TV up. It's building a sort of a nerve center where digital makes sense. And it might just be that in the store, the way that the screens are monetized has to do with simplifying access to products that exist outside of the store. For example, on-ramping people to, say, a big box store that sells has a much larger assortment of refrigerators or large appliances. That's an area where a lot of consumers go into the store that they want to be empowered to purchase, but there's nobody around to support them. So, you know, with digital, you can on-ramp people to support that transaction, talk a customer through it, and essentially allow them to purchase when they want to purchase, which is when they're in the store. So, I guess my point is is that you know each retailer is going to have its own native approach based on the product and the inventory but the idea that digital removes barriers and digital makes it easier to deal with a staffing issue or the expense associated with providing customers all the support they need that's universal. Yeah, absolutely. And the conversation is going very well but I know that a lot of retailers are interested in investing in it. What would be your advice? Because as you said, it's just not putting a TV up there and just hope for the best. You need a whole strategy and understand your consumer and everything. Chris, what would be your advice to retailers that want to enter it in 2023? Yeah, so I think kind of four kind of key points in our view. One is understanding the financial model. When you're doing .com and online, the technology infrastructure costs to support that are minimal compared to in-store. That 1,000 euro screen that you can buy to place in the store, by the time it's there, costs you 5,000 euro. And people say, well, that's impossible. No, by the time you run power, by the time you run data, by the time it has network connectivity, all the associated infrastructure around it, building that financing model correctly to say retailers always capital averse. So the ability where we've been successful in our, we've done over $5 billion in retail media networks uh, through the history of the company. 
the ability to build that financing model that works for the customer where it's not a big capex because that kills it right away with every retail CFO. The second is data and thinking of that data from the very start of the project. What data am I capturing? How am I monetizing that inside and outside of the store? How does that tie back to shopper loyalty to first party data and having that big data lake? And what am I going to do to optimize that? Uh, The third is the merchant view versus the media view. We've been in many retailers where you have, we say somewhat tongue in cheek, civil wars between the media teams and the merchant teams, because the media teams look at this as incremental revenue. The merchant teams look at it as a decrease in merchant dollars and trade dollars coming to that store. So being able to harmonize peace and build environments where if I'm really successful with retail media on targeting a customer and a product, that has to work fully and seamlessly through the merchant channel. I have an ad, I have a great targeting, but if I don't have the product on the shelves to sell the customer, I've won one battle and lost the war. So that tie between the merchant class and the media class. And then finally, thinking about what is that result? Jonathan uses a great phrase, which is write the press release showing your success first, and then how do you get there within that? So within that result, is that result pure advertising dollars? Is that advertising dollars with conversion and retargeting at home over streaming or other points? What is your desired end goal? And then how do you work back from that in the technical strategies? The technology itself is straightforward, is easy to work and to understand, but it's understanding that end goal. And finally, the retailers who say, I'm going to build it all myself. You can absolutely build it all yourself. You have capital, you have smart people, but it's a time to market point. I was talking to a customer in Canada last week where we did a retail media pitch 13 years ago. And We've done that 10 times in the last 13 years. Every year, they're about to build it themselves. They're going to be successful with it. They still haven't started. So that time to market, that ability to go fast is key because that market is maturing very quickly. And there's a lot of revenue on the table for that retailer to be able to capture. How about you, Jonathan? What would be your advice for any retailer that want to get into retail media networking store? Well, Chris, I would sort of say what Chris says is absolutely spot on. You know, it's a capital consideration. It's the right model going in. It's figuring out what the ultimate win will work. And then breaking down the silos, making sure that the merchants, the marketing folks, the consumer experience and omni-channel folks are all on the same page. So wrapping all of those things together, it's really, you want to work with a partner who can actually craft this story with you as a collaborator, because it really is a story of what you're building together. And at the end of the day, what most retailers need to hear is that if you put anything in their store, it's going to reduce costs, namely, you know, replace physical signage, which is very expensive to maintain. It's going to look right and be native to the store. And that's all in service of the customer, the consumer. So really, what I think retailers really need to hear at the end of the day is that all four of those bases are covered that Chris mentioned, but that fundamentally, you're going to create a consumer experience that moves people, that changes behavior. So never lose sight, I guess I would add, of the human component of this and what it's really about, which is not about technologies, but about experiences that change behavior. That's an amazing way to end this podcast. Thank you both for coming. I look forward to staying in touch. That's definitely a podcast that I'm looking forward to listen to again. Excellent. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. This has already dropped off. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. 
Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.